The following Dharma Talk was presented at Common Ground Meditation Center in Minneapolis, Minnesota as part of the monthly guest Dharma series. Tonight's talk is going to be on forgiveness. Forgiveness is a practice of freedom, a practice of freeing the heart, and specifically freeing the heart of anger and resentment. I think of forgiveness as a way of you could say protecting our hearts from becoming hardened and um, embittered with the many imperfections in this human life. So the imperfections in ourselves, um, the imperfections of others, the imperfections of life itself. So it's a practice of cultivating the um, open heart, the heart that can live with this life that doesn't always meet our expectations that sometimes um, manifests in ways that we find painful and hurtful. And I think of it, I used to, I have to say I used to think of it as kind of extraneous, uh, a quality that we could uh, think about cultivating if um, we had some extra time in our practice. <laughs> uh, but over the years, it, 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 it feels to me like it's more and more really central to the practice. And that forgiveness is required of us um, many, many times in a day. And it might be on subtle levels, not a big thing, but um, it's really a practice of letting go. So you can see how close it is to freedom practice, right? We talk about freedom, letting go, letting go of attachment. It's a form of letting go of attachment, actually, but also a letting go of aversion and letting go of delusion, letting go of um, the kind of thinking that perpetuates anger and resentment, the kind of thinking that gets very narrow and um, very self-centered. So it's really a, a, um, a practice of, of expanding our... Um, the heart. And I often think of it on, on several levels that I've already mentioned. Forgiving ourselves, forgiving others, and forgiving life itself. The other, one other thing I want to say about forgiveness at the beginning is that it's not something that can really be done. You can't you can't make forgiveness happen, right? We've all tried. <laughs> um, uh, because it's, it's, it's a letting go, and letting go can never be forced. But we can create conditions that help us to access that quality of letting go of anger. Um, and often what that means is that we have to also talk, when we talk about forgiveness, we have to also talk about anger and resentment and the heart that is contracted and closed. Because one of the pathways to forgiveness is to fully be with that heart, with mindfulness, compassion, to really investigate it, to get to know it so that it doesn't, um, so that it becomes more transparent and less opaque. It's interesting. The Buddha didn't, I've never in the text, maybe it's in the text, but I don't think very much the word forgiveness 
I don't know if it was particularly used much, but the Buddha did talk a lot about anger and letting go of anger, which really is forgiveness. So, um, yeah, he talked a lot about unwholesome uh, mind states, unwholesome thoughts, what we can do to transform them. And although forgiveness can't be done, it can't be forced, it can't be mandated, it is a pathway we can learn. We start to learn in our hearts what the feeling of forgiveness is like, what's the texture of it, and we start learning how we can um, just, we start clearing out the pathway, you could say, getting the clutter out of the pathway to the heart that uh, leads to forgiveness. So as I said, forgiveness, the short definition would be letting go of anger and judgment, resentment. But I like to think of it also as um, allowing the imperfection of life. Some, somebody explained it. It might have been Annie Lamott, giving up hope for a better past. <laughs> or... or <laughs> There you go. There's that letting go again, right? Or I think of of giving up hope for a better present, like right now, um, for example. Well, when I gave the intention tonight that we would plant perhaps a seed of forgiveness, I think where we have to start investigating forgiveness is forgiving ourselves. It's when we can learn how to do that, then it might be easier to um, transfer that to forgiving other folks. So it's... um, and I say giving up the hope for a better present. Well, maybe we're sitting here and we came here and our intention was that the mind was going to be quiet. We were going to have a nice peaceful sitting after working all day. And then that's not what happens, right? Perhaps the mind is very busy. And, um, and then we judge ourselves. We say, why can't my mind quiet down? Like what is wrong with me or what's wrong with my mind or however we phrase it? Um, and there's this kind of... Uh, um, aggression or hatred towards ourselves, right? We feel this closing down of the heart to the present moment and what's manifesting. So what does it mean to forgive ourselves then? Or to forgive our mind, forgive our body, forgive our heart? It's somehow this willingness to include um, the imperfection of being human, Right? Allowing ourselves to be very, very human. How do we learn to do that? (laughs) Well, we can drop some seeds, some intentions like we did at the beginning of the sitting. I think we only get there by fighting, don't we, with ourselves? <laughs> I think we mostly we get there by um, by being mindful of of that turning against ourselves because it's often so unconscious. And if it's unconscious, there really isn't the opportunity for transformation. But if we start to see this happening while we're sitting, to see that anger. Um, and to really be with it mindfully, we start to see that um, it's not exactly where our hearts really want to go. And then letting go starts to happen. It's that mysterious power of awareness 
It's so, um, it brings up so much potential for transformation, and a lot of times awareness does it. We just show up. I remember in my early practice, I really liked group interviews on retreats because I would hear what was going on with everybody else. And that really helped me to to forgive myself because I realized that I wasn't alone. We can um, create so many stories about how we are some personal meditative failure. Um, but then when we sit and listen to other people, that's what's, that's why, one way our Sangha brothers and sisters can be so helpful is to help us to actually, um, let go of all our projection on how everybody else is doing it right and, and everybody else has, um, has it down and we don't. Especially if we're willing to be real with each other. And it's another reason when I give Dharma talks, I often um, tell stories from my own practice. It's just to really help people um, forgive themselves and uh, really open their hearts, their, their compassion towards themselves. We also start to learn that it's not also personal, right? That helps us um, let go of some of the anger or um, resentment is to see that it's really just being a human being. This human being's a wild, crazy ride. <laughs> anger, resentment is part of that ride. Some of you have heard a while ago of my, um, I, t- I might have done it in a talk here, talked about working with fear. In my early practice, I worked with a lot of fear. And I came up with this list of about 24 kinds of fears that I'd worked with in practice. Well, I came up with a list of all kinds of anger I'd worked with in practice. And I came up with 24 also. <laughs> <laughs> so you can... Uh, <laughs> I, I, don't, I bet you can't beat my list. <laughs> You want to hear some of them? <laughs> Killer rage. <laughs> Bulldozer anger. That's the anger that's like, I'm going to anybody in my path, you know, that kind of thing. Fury, anger about something, seething anger, simmering anger, attacking anger, entitled anger, defensive anger. Judgment, passive-aggressive anger, powerless anger, collapsing anger, frustration, bitterness, resentment, self-righteous anger, blaming, self-hatred, hopeless anger, Disguised anger, unconscious anger, annoyance and irritation. Can you think of any other ones? (laughs) Surprising anger. anger. How did that happen? So you don't even know what it is. Just, yeah. 
Confusing anger. Oh, I like that one. Anger, fear, fearful anger. Yeah, yeah. Well, God, there's a lot more. <laughs> now, some of you might just go, oh, my God, that's so discouraging. I love it. I just, like, <laughs> not that you're discouraged. No, I, I, I love I, um, it makes me relax. Like, just when, um, it's when there's truth about what it's really like for us to be humans. I recently read in a book, I think it was even yesterday, it said that we're mammals, right? All of us are mammals, we're human mammals. It said that the conditions that give rise to the activation of anger are a state of vulnerability plus perceived threat. I found that so interesting because when I really am with anger and um, kind of take it to its end, vulnerability is where I land. So it's like all the angers... um, It's to protect us from the vulnerability. And I think the lack of forgiveness has something to do with also like trying to protect us from the vulnerability. We'd rather be angry and hateful than vulnerable. Maybe not in the end, but somewhere in the middle we would. (laughs) It's It's like we have to acclimate to the vulnerability in order to be able to let go of the anger and the and the and the bitterness as the protection There's this great book I've read called Falling Upward by Richard Rohr. I think he's a priest, a Christian Catholic priest. In the book he said, If there is such a thing as human perfection, it seems to emerge precisely from how we handle the imperfection that is everywhere, especially our own. A perfect person ends up being one who can consciously forgive and include imperfection rather than one who thinks he or she is totally above and beyond imperfection. So perhaps this is one reason why it's important that we can settle into our own imperfection, is that it actually allows um, forgiveness of ourselves. And then, as I'm going to say in a few minutes, it's like everything we learn about ourselves and we can apply to others. And I think it's important that to mention that when we forgive ourselves, so we forgive ourselves perhaps for um, how this heart and mind manifests, but then we also find when we practice that we usually become more sensitive to how we cause harm to others, not only harm to ourselves through our anger towards ourselves or perhaps certain things that we do, but also how we harm others. And hopefully as we practice more and more, we become more and more sensitive to this. It's an important part of practice, actually. It motivates us 
I remember one retreat. It's like I, you, you, I go, people go through phases where this may be like more pronounced. I remember one retreat where I was remembering lots of things that I'd done that were unskillful. And I had this commitment come to my heart so strongly that I am going to stay on this path of practice if for no other reason than to spare the others, the other folks that I cause harm to. So it really motivates uh, us to um, keep going, <laughs> to keep looking at where we're stuck and how we can free ourselves so that we can be kinder and gentler uh, people in this world. So this seeing our own imperfection, forgiving ourselves, doesn't mean that we don't do anything, right? It's not passive. It's not like, oh, well... <laughs> It's more like um, there's a soberness to it, but also a, a commitment and compassion. And one practice that I've really liked that I think really uh, gives us a way to work with some of the ways that we cause others harm is known as the four Uh, four powers in the Tibetan tradition. The first is that we recognize our mistake. So we recognize what we do that is harmful. Then we acknowledge remorse. So recognition, remorse, they all start with R. So recognition, remorse, which is means bite again. So we feel the the bite of 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 the pain of the suffering we caused. Um, remediate. So we do something. Either we ask forgiveness or we see what um, conditions led us to do that mistake and then we change the conditions so we won't do it again. So we set up some kind of conditions to help us not repeat it. Even the practice of mindfulness, that's doing that is one of the conditions, right, so that we won't do it again. And then we recommit. So it's recognize, remorse, remediate, recommit. And I feel like if we've done that, then we can forgive ourselves. We've done what we can do. So it's like then we can let go. Like this remediate, I'll give an example. So the remediate, the setting up conditions so that we don't repeat it, a while ago, I, I, as you know, I'm a guiding teacher of a small center in Western Mass. So a while ago, I kind of noticed that I was pretty impatient in board meetings, and I was not manifesting as I wanted to. Um, and sometimes I wouldn't listen as well as I wanted to. We had long agendas, and we were having trouble getting through them. So I was like, I don't really want to keep acting like this. So what can I do? What conditions can I change so that um, it will support me being um, a better listener and um, more patient in board meetings. So what I realized is that what I, and what I started to do was to sit with the director before the board meeting, go through the agenda, and make it realistic. <laughs> so table some stuff right off the bat if we need to. Uh, maybe some things can go to subcommittee right away or, or not board decision. So I, I made the uh, work to make the agenda more manageable. And then I, it actually it was really, really helpful 
So you, we do something that helps us to um, manifest as we'd like to. So then when we start to see or understand through our own practice the places where we cause harm to others, and we start to really understand how that happens and how it's possible for that to happen, then we start to be able to extend that same understanding to others. We start to really understand our shared humanity with others. That's what helps us to be able to forgive. We see that within ourselves, we often don't act the way that we'd like to act. We see that even ourselves, we cause harm and suffering to others. We see ourselves that we can get caught in the mindless grip of unwholesome mind states, of of greed, of aversion, of delusion, and then that we um, can act out of that. And then when we experience people acting unskillfully, we can understand, oh, that's me, or that could be me. And if we've already started to learn how to be compassionate towards ourselves when we cause harm, then it's we've already learned how to um, do that for others. I think the deepest forgiveness comes out of an understanding of our own and others' suffering. We learn that causing suffering to others comes out of ignorance, from not understanding deeply, from mindlessness. And then we can start to replace blame with understanding. There's a couple of myths around um, forgiveness that I'd like to dispel. The first one is um, the idea that forgiveness is a should, that it's spiritually correct <laughs> to, to forgive, that we forgive others because we should. And then so somehow in this idea, is the, uh, um, in this myth is the idea that forgiving others is um, like a favor we're doing for somebody else. And then um, sometimes we don't want to forgive because there's this idea that um, we'll make them pay more if we hold a grudge against them. It's like this act of revenge that we won't forgive them. And um, that's kind of misses the point in a lot of ways. Um, Or it's not a very deep understanding of forgiving. Obviously, if we forgive somebody, it is of some benefit usually to them. We'll probably treat them um, more kindly. But it's of real benefit for our own hearts and minds. It's like we don't squander our energy anymore on um, the issue. We're not bound to that person through the anger and the resentment. Um, Archbishop, Archbishop Desmond Tutu of the of South Africa, of the chairman of the Truth and Reconciliation Commissions in South Africa, he said, 
To forgive is not just to be altruistic. It is the best form of self-interest. He says that if we forgive, we're no longer chained to the perpetrator. We can move on. A while ago, I was looking in a um, cemetery near my house, one of these cemeteries out in the woods in um, the eastern part of the country, a little older than, than most of them you'll find around here. Um, I was amazed at how long some people can hold on to resentment. There was a story of this man named Moses, and he had died when he was 80 years old. He had died in 1833. And so... Um, it said that when he was in the war of the the independence war on his tombstone, so he was 24 years old in that war. And so what it says on his tombstone, it said invested, which I had to look up. Invested means um, like surrounded under siege. So it said invested by the British, but never captured. He died without receiving a pension. <laughs> So so that happened when he was 24 and he was 80 when he died. And somehow, like, that was the most important thing to be on his tombstone. I was like, I mean, somebody was not, somebody was holding on to something here. <laughs> it might not have been him. It might have been his widow. I don't know. But I, I found that just totally intriguing <laughs> and kind of sad. <laughs> something. The Dalai Lama said I had it in here somewhere. The Dalai Lama said, if you have an enemy and you think about them all the time, their faults and what they've done in your grievances, then you can't really enjoy anything. You can't eat. You can't get a good night's sleep. Why give them that satisfaction? That was in Sharon Salzberg's book, Loving Kindness. I like to give the reference because of this might be on the web. Um, So opportunities to forgive come up a lot. (laughs) The Buddhist author Kevin Griffin said, I'm an expert on forgiveness. I'm married. I was thinking about that yesterday when I was thinking about this talk again. I would say that being in a long-term relationship or being married is a long process of uh, disillusionment. Dropping our illusions and expectations and letting people be human and imperfect. Imperfect. This is my own experience with 17 years of a relationship. It's actually really freeing. It's like we become more and more willing to not live in delusion about the other person. So not to live in our projections on them, our expectations on them, um, and we and we really see that even the people who love us the most dearly are going to um, betray us at times. I don't mean like the big betrayal, like you know infidelity or something like this, but just the little ways that 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 
they won't be there in the way that we might want them to be there all the time, right? Nobody's like that. Nobody's perfect. Nobody could do that. So the process of of a marriage or a long-term relationship is disillusionment. And it calls on so much forgiveness, right? Letting go, letting go of anger. Studies have shown that um, forgiveness in marriages uh, keeps cortisol levels down. That the stress levels, um, the stress levels in marriages where people can forgive is um, like the hormones. The cortisol is lower. I found that interesting. And and the same could be said of our relationships with our parents, right, or our children. <laughs> That process of disillusionment, which it, which includes, it's. I love the fact that the word in um, Spanish for disappointment is dis, is disillusionado. Disappointed is desilusionado. So disillusioned and disappointment are very close. So it's almost like we have to go through the disappointment. For example, with our parents, many of us in in the um, the West or the United States. Uh, seem to go through issues with our parents. And um, I think it's a long process of disillusionment. In some ways, it's like we come to see that our parents are people <laughs> rather than our parents. And maybe it's the same with kids. I don't have kids, but I would guess that there's probably got to be something similar there but maybe not maybe it works different that direction i'm not sure the last time i was going to give this talk uh in february when i my flight got canceled because of the um snow or the a storm out east my mom was going to come to the talk and she was going to bring some of her students or some of you might know her she's mary joe meadow so she's a meditation teacher and she was going to be here so i called her up a couple days before. I said, Mom, I kind of was going to say something about forgiving parents. How do you feel about that? And she's like, yeah, fine, no problem. Um, <laughs> and so I've had, like, issues with my mom, just like, you know, everybody, like a lot of people have issues with their moms, right? So um, a number of years ago, I read this book. And it, I don't remember the title exactly, but it was something about 50 years of American women. And it was um, this history, like sociological study of American women from 1960 to 2010. So I was born in 1960. And um, so I read this book through the eyes of understanding what my mother was living through when I was a child and a teenager. And... Um, it was fascinating. It really, um, it just gave me a, it's like we start to see that our parents were actually people embedded in a certain social reality. And um, it, was, it, was, it was very mind-opening. It's like she's not just my mother. She was this woman who lived there during this time, and she was actually quite courageous. And she was one of the early feminists from that era. And... Um, and while it didn't always work out exactly as I wanted it to be, um, as a woman during that time, she was quite courageous. 
Or I, there's these pictures that I've seen of her mother, of her father and her grandfather on the prairie. They they were um, German immigrants on the prairie in Kansas, I think. And you see the pictures, like we have pictures from back in the 1800s, and um, the hard, hard looks on the faces and in the eyes, and it's like, wow. So that's what she came from. That's what she inherited. And then as we start to understand that, like, everything's cause and conditions, right? That it all evolves um, rolling along. It's like, where do you start blaming somebody? If we want to blame somebody, where do we start? You can't find a beginning. And then out of that, forgiveness can feel more natural. So we often have to go through layers. Arriving at forgiveness is, is, a, is, a, pro, is a process of exploring the heart and exploring the truth of the heart. So not pretending we're forgiving when that isn't what's happening. If what's happening is anger, resentment, can we be with that? Can we be with it with mindfulness and compassion and, and allowing A number of times I've had students come in and, and they might say that there's anger and then it's, or there, there's, and it's not very loving to be angry. And, um, there's a sense that it's not okay to allow that experience. And I, maybe it's not very loving, but it's the truth. And if it's the truth, that's what we explore with the intention to understand and perhaps even the intention to forgive but then being with the truth of the reality of what it is. And then being with anger with mindfulness, of course, not feeding it. Mindfulness allows us to be with anger without feeding it, to feel it viscerally and to allow it to transform on its own. The feeding it, of course, keeps it stuck. So that's not what we're talking about, going over the same stories over and over again. Anger loves stories, right? And it loves <laughs> loves our stories. <laughs> or if or if or if the heart feels hatred, like what is that experience like? One time I said to a meditation group, I said, I like hatred. They all looked at me like I was crazy. Um, hatred feels strong feels protective, feels powerful, feels invulnerable. We need to explore that. We need to know that. Because what happens then is we see what may call us in that mind state, but we also see that it doesn't answer the deepest yearning of our heart. We may like feeling strong, powerful, and vulnerable, but the deepest yearning of our heart isn't there. The deepest yearning of our heart is to be connected and to be free of those barriers and contractions of hatred and anger. And we see that we suffer when we feel hatred, right? Because there's so much separation and it's a very lonely and alienating mind state. 
And it's tiring. We can't rest there. And we see that's not such an effective protection for the heart because the price is too high. It corrodes the heart. But we see this for ourselves in our own experience. And then the wish to forgive becomes very authentic. It becomes, um, it's not from a sense of duty, like something we should do, but it's something that the heart wants to do. Sometimes we don't get much further than just the intention to forgive, but just planting the intention is powerful. You plant seeds and you water them, eventually they sprout. So sometimes that's... um, That's where we start. We start with, I'd like to forgive, but I'm not there. And then we feel what the truth is. Hmm. I want to have time for questions, so I'm only going to talk a few more minutes. I think the, I'd just like to say a few words uh, to end about um, when I talked earlier about forgiving life. It's like we have a long-term relationship with life. <laughs> and, it, and in some ways, the practice is the same process. <laughs> Letting go of um, illusions or disillusionment or seeing through delusions better than letting go of them, getting closer and closer to the truth, which is on some level (laughs) disappointing. (laughs) I wanted things to be more permanent, more reliable, more secure, more stable, and more under my control than what I see when I look closely at reality. (laughs) So that's what I'm talking about when I say forgiving life. (laughs) Forgiving life for um, being unreliable, unpredictable, uncontrollable. And it seems like only with this possibility of forgiveness can we continue the process of disillusionment in the most positive sense of that word letting go of um, the projections expectations unrealistic wishes craving (laughs) that manifests um, when we can't rest in the truth of the way things are So you could say that this process of forgiveness and disillusionment allows us then to have the that that deeper peace of um, rest, resting in the way things are. I love this book, again, by Richard Rohr, Falling Upwards. He says, 
The tragic sense of life is just ultimate and humiliating realism, which for some reason demands a lot of forgiveness of almost everything. And then one just little other thing, one other forgiveness practice that I've started to do in the last year, and I don't know what prompted this. I like to walk in the woods. I walk almost every day in the woods or close to every day. Um, And I started asking forgiveness of the trees and the animals and the lakes. I started asking forgiveness of my species. Asking forgiveness for the destruction that um, my species is causing and the harm that my species is causing these other beings. And it feels like somebody's got to do it. (laughs) It feels like an essential practice that I'm called to do. I don't totally understand it. But I know that it feels healing in some way that feels important. Let's just sit for um, a few moments and then we have about 15 minutes if there's any questions or thoughts about forgiveness. Just see if something bubbles up inside that feels like it would be important either to share or to explore more deeply. Yes. I was thinking about that, and I think um, they're very close to each other. Um, So the question was, is there a distinction between forgiveness and acceptance? What would be the difference between those two? I mean, forgiveness in some ways specifically addresses forgiving um, um letting go of anger and aversion, which would stand in the way of acceptance, right? Sometimes craving stands in the way of acceptance, too. So perhaps it's just one angle on um, acceptance. But I, I, I think they're very close. Do you think? What do you think? Do you think any? Yeah, I'm not coming up with one myself at the moment, so... Mm-hmm. Forgiving is a movement of the heart where accepting is an allowing and receiving, but I think there's a pretty big difference in meaning. I don't know if I can put it in words, but. Uh huh. So there's a fuller, full, more, a fuller quality the way you are describing, and you too, I think. And for you, I got the sense of extending the heart more. Yeah, I think so, one is an accepting, is a receiving, mm-hmm. and a forgiving is a giving. Mm-hmm. Extending the heart. Mm. 
Right. There's more engagement almost with forgiveness. Yes, I like that. Okay. I think that's a great alternative. And uh, if my way of expressing it doesn't work for you, just let it go. (laughs) Great. I like that. Yeah. I think the truth of the matter, if those of you who know the kind of Buddhist personality types, I'm an aversive type and I come from that um, orientation. And so yours is a different orientation. It's great. It rounds it out. Nice. Thank you. Oh my, there's so many people. Um, I have some problems. Well, one of the things that I think is that, uh, yes, I, I get angry, and then I do this thing where I go and what I call kicking stones for a while. And I, you know, I'm just beneath myself to go around, you know, blah, really mad, come back and um, sort of deal with, the, deal with the issue or whatever a little better. One of the things that I that I found in a very very serious um, legal issue within my family was that I started to cry. I mean, it was, I was so mad that I just couldn't see. And the problem now is I've forgiven this person, and I uh, <laughs> I don't think about it much. I'm fine. It's not torturing or hurting or suffering me. But the reconnection is is the next step. Yeah, yeah. I think there's this there there there's this forgiveness of the letting go of the heart, right? Of anger, and then there's a whole other question about how what's the sanest way to relate to somebody who has caused us harm. And um, I think it was Annie Lamott who said, "I I like this line. Let me find it here." Forgiveness means it finally becomes unimportant that you hit back. You're done. It doesn't necessarily mean that you want to have lunch with the person. So, <laughs> you know, so, so we, we, then we decide what boundaries we might have with a person. And if, and for example, if a person is quite mean spirited towards us, we may decide we don't really want to have a lot to do with them, out of compassion for ourselves or whatever, out of common sense, wisdom. Um, But then there's other people that we may, the reconnection might be really important and that we want to find how we can do that because for whatever reason, this person is important in our lives, right? So that's like a whole other investigation is what goes on for you as you reconnect with this person, what gets stirred up again and how can you meet that and and um not um not get swept away in it right so that you can be freer uh, that's a good question somebody over here had their hand i think in the back you had your hand up before for me it's like uh, my own process around this kind of thing is um we can have if 
if we is to actually be real about what our experience is and to actually accept and allow you're still feeling like your experience is wrong or bad. And that's going to get in the way of you moving through it or for it, it to change or transform in any way. So it's like, is there a way that you can actually fully accept what you really are feeling, which is you do not want to forgive this person? And can you really feel what that feels like and allow yourself to, with mindfulness, not with a story, but keep, like, to really explore that deeply. Not on a thought level, on a visceral heart level. I may be naive, but I can't believe that it, I don't know, maybe I'm naive. (laughs) I'm thinking that at some point it'll transform, but maybe there's just some, there's some non-forgiveness that we learn to accept. Yes, and the forgiveness does seem to come out of this understanding, right? See, the reason why I, I, I believe that it's the heart's deepest wish to forgive. So that's why I have this like faith in awareness and bringing awareness to everything, including the not wanting to forgive. Um, And that as as exploration goes through the layers, the understanding increases, which is what you were pointing towards. And that the understanding at some point, when when you get to the question of who can I actually blame, or where does it start, or however you want to put it, it's like there's nobody, at some point there's nobody left to blame. There might be the cruel and hurtful truth of, of, real damage that was done. But who who can we blame? Because everybody's a product of causes and conditions. Now we can hold somebody responsible, which is different than blaming. We hold everybody responsible to deal with and um, transform whatever we've been given in our conditioning, right? Um, first of all, what courage you have to be willing to explore that mind state. And it takes courage to be able to see that it's painful. Um, so you also obviously have this desire for the truth. And, and there you go, right? There goes awareness. It's just taking you there. Um, Mindfulness gives us that chance to know when we're about to cause suffering, right? Which is great. Um, (laughs) It doesn't happen so much now, but I can remember more in the earlier days of my relationship with my partner. I'll be triggered, right? There'll be anger, and then there'll be this, like, something you want to say to really get them. And then you have this, like, your voice in your head will be saying, don't say it, Rebecca, don't say it. <laughs> and that's the other part, I'm going to say it, don't, don't say it, you know, right? <laughs> and then you say it, and then, like, oh, boy, I shouldn't have said that, <laughs> right? <laughs> um, <laughs> and you get more effective as exactly what you said, pause, time out, 
So I started to get good at noticing that feeling, that urgency to say something. The urgency is a good mindfulness bell. And then I'd say, oops, you know, I can see this is about to go in a direction that is just not going to be helpful. And I'd often go for a ride, a bike ride or a walk or something that would move the energy. And then I would find, and I still find, I mean, I don't, we don't have the same level of <laughs> distress, but I would find like that it would unfold. You know, that, and usually what I would get down to was some kind of hurt and vulnerability. And then if I could rest there, then I could, um, then I could come back and own my own part in it and have much more space and all. But that, that time out can be really helpful. Yeah. And one more thing I'm going to say, and then we have to end because I, I think nine o'clock is your limit. But I was thinking of the other, the reason why I, when I see myself not wanting to forgive, often the, the, for me, the, the almost the final step or the place where I, I, the stuckness of not wanting to forgive is that I actually don't want to accept the truth. That that's the final sticking is like I don't want to accept the truth of what happened. And somehow not forgiving holds out some kind of weird hope that there's a better past. And as um, as that quote I said, it's like forgiveness is letting go of a better past. So it's something like the final point I've seen in some forgiveness is like, oh, it really did happen, <laughs> or oh, it, oh, it was bad, <laughs> and and a kind of like a, and 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 a level of being able to accept. Um, yeah. So this is such a rich topic, isn't it? It's really. Um, a rich topic, and thank you for bringing, uh, I wish we had another hour, but thank you for bringing up the um, questions and thoughts and other perspectives and um, all, and I enjoyed exploring it with you. Thank you for being here. This talk, like all programs at Common Ground, is offered freely in the spirit of generosity. To learn more about Common Ground and its programs, or if you would like to donate, please visit our website, www.commongroundmeditation.org Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.